Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Saturday. We're into the weekend. Hope you're enjoying the NCAA tournament. Hope you're enjoying the conversation that we started yesterday that we will try to finish today. We've been talking about uh, the LGBTQ issue and its impact on Christianity and the church and ministers and just all the division it's causing. And <clears throat> we focused in yesterday uh, quite a bit on Pastor Mike Todd in Tulsa, Oklahoma, very popular minister out of Tulsa, is having a lot of influence over young people and with athletes. And he delivered what I thought was a pretty solid message uh, a couple of weeks ago addressing the LGBT issue while also addressing the mindset that feelings are more important than what scripture says. And, and it really gets down to, and, and again, there wasn't not everything in the sermon I like. It was lathered in empathy. Empathy is in control of American culture right now, and it's in control of the church. Empathy is the greatest gift we can give the world. It, it seems women are arguing. I, I can remember you know, last week I reacted to a TikTok video where a woman was talking about why women were better than men and women need to rule the world. And, and it kind of captured where we're at in American society where, where we just think the world just needs more empathy. That's going to fix the world. And so I wanted to play a little taste of that TikTok video before we got back deeper into this discussion. The matriarchy is a more equal society. That's the point. A woman is biologically hardwired to nurture, provide comfort, and seek social support in times of stress. I'm not saying that all women are like this or that they need to be, but biologically, the hormones that are running through our brain makes that so. Much research shows that women are more empathic than men. And that's not to say that men don't have empathy at all. Women are just naturally a little bit more inclined to be empathic. So many of the world's problems are rooted in racism. Do you know what that boils down to? Lack of empathy. The start and continuation of wars. Lack of empathy. Homophobic, transphobic, and really any other hate against marginalized groups. Guess what? You guessed it. Lack of empathy. Empathy. Empathy has taken priority over truth. And, and <clears throat> Mike Todd addressed that issue uh, during his sermon. Let's, let's play a clip from that. Will you do what's right when it's more convenient to do what's wrong? We're talking about the word integrity here. Most people could never serve God the way that he wants to be served because your feelings of how it should be done are more priority than what the king says, okay? So I'm getting somewhere, stay with me right here. Righteousness, write this down, as a kingdom citizen is not a maybe, it's a must. Right standing with God, right decision making with God. I'm trying to come for actually how you're living. Everybody wants to accept the kingdom until it costs you something. Pretty good stuff. And it, 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 a sermon about feelings and how we can't allow our feelings to control our actions and our obedience to God. 
and, and feelings have become the number one thing. And we must change scripture. We must reinterpret scripture to match our feelings. That will be the conversation we have today. Truth versus empathy. Dave Shannon is going to join us uh, from Idaho. Pastor Bobby, TJ Moe still here with me in studio. <clears throat> and so I, 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 I want to start with you, Dave, and, and just your take. And, and do you see, probably not at your church, but do you see this whole truth versus empathy thing playing out and having a lot of impact on the church community? Absolutely. Um, we have been, we're hoodwinked actually with it because I think that we know that Christians in some way, people who have been saved for their sin, from their sins are supposed to be able to have some sort of connection with those people who are still in their sin. And so the world is using this word empathy, I think, um, and, and kind of simultaneously with the word sympathy, what what they mean by the word empathy is that you, um, I like to think of it as a, a, in an ocean, and they're in the sea drowning, and in order for you to save them, you must jump out of the boat and jump in with them and what they call becoming an ally. The Christian idea is that we are in the boat, we see them, we have sympathy for them because we don't want them to drown. We don't want them to live in their sin. We want them to um, uh, be lost because of their sin. So we throw a life raft out there while we're tethered to the boat, the boat being the gospel, the boat being Christ, the boat being rescuing, right? And we toss that life raft out, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's tethered to the boat. They don't like that because it's requiring them to give up the very thing that they love. The world loves their sins. People love their sins and they don't want to be rescued. What they want is they want you to identify with them in their sin so that they can get you to jump out of the boat in with them and not have to ever grab onto the life raft. And Christians are being played into saying, well, if that's what it takes to be able to save you, I guess I have to jump out of the boat. No, we have the rescue plan. We have Christ. We have the gospel that transforms. And I think part of the reason why Christians are getting fooled into this, Jason, is because they don't believe that the gospel really is the power of God to transform one person's life. We really don't believe. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God into salvation. And so we think that we save people by jumping in with them and, and wallowing it, almost becoming an ally instead of actually saying, no, 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 I, I sympathize with you. I understand. I was out there too. But God, through his grace and mercy, sent the gospel to me to convict me of my sins and made it so that I grab on to the life raft and he pulls me into the boat. And now I'm not the same person I was when I was out there. And so empathy is being used on us to get us out of the boat, get us away from the standard so that we would loosen it and not be tethered to anything when really we're sympathetic to the, to the people and their sins in the same way that Christ was sympathetic with us and yet was perfect and, and came and got us out of our sin. And that's what we're missing right now. I, I really love that analogy. It, 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 they, they, that is true. Because trust me, I was out in the sea of sin 
and I used to talk in a different analogy, is like there's an undercurrent to the ocean that is so powerful and you don't even feel it. And so you jump in, you get your toe wet in some sand, and then you, you kind of, well, this is some safe sand. I still got one foot, you know, very close to the edge. But that undercurrent keeps pulling you further and further out and you don't even know it. And the next thing you look like, man, I'm a long way from the shore. And, 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 you're, and Dave's right, you start, well, jump on in this sand with me. If there's more of us in this sand, you know, <laughs> I don't look so crazy out here in the middle of it. And, and, and there is a reluctance to get pulled all the way up out and onto the, oh, that don't look as much fun. This is dang, this is fun out here. It, it, it and I, I like Dave's use of the word sympathy, that it's appropriate to have sympathy, but you can get carried away with empathy. There is a difference in those two words. What do you guys think? You go first. Well, <clears throat> the difference between the two words, I, look, I was not given the gift of empathy. If, there's a, there's a, if that is a gift, I don't have it. Um, and so I work hard at trying to get in people's shoes. Sympathy, I, I do like what he says, where you can sort of sympathize and do your best to make people feel better, do your best to help them. Empathy is actually getting in their shoes. I struggle getting in people's shoes and feeling their pain, right? So um, to, to your point about um, jumping in with them, there's an old quote, you guys have probably heard it, I don't know who to attribute it to. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes. That's a great quote. You get going down that road, you're in real trouble. And to Dave's point about jumping in the water with them, there is um, there's a, such a huge difference between kindness and niceness. <clears throat> kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And kindness, definitionally, the quality of being friendly, generous, or considerate. Considerate would be somebody pulling you, you see somebody drown, you pull them into the boat with you, and now that you're considerate of them. You've just saved them from their sin. Niceness is just mm -hmm. a pleasantry. They may kind of be enjoying themselves down there. It'd be more pleasant not to tell them they're wrong. It'd be more pleasant. You don't ever have to come into confrontation. That's not kind, though. I think niceness is actually at odds with kindness in many ways. And, that, and so we have erred on the side of niceness. Bodhi calls it the 11th commandment. That does not exist. <laughs> Thou shalt be nice. We should not always be nice. It's, it's good to be nice, right? Be pleasant when you can, but when it's time to have this confrontation and you, are, you have, as uh, Daniel said yesterday, 10 toes down and you're based in scripture, that's a good time for confrontation. You do need to confront sin. I, I totally agree. I think that right now we're living in a culture that prioritizes feelings over facts. Uh, if I feel something, that that's how some kind of authority. The Bible teaches something different. In fact, there's a passage that I'd like to read because I think it directly addresses this, and, and uh, they have it to put it on the screen. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. And here's what God says through the Apostle Paul about the Word, which is the teachings of Jesus. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Yeah, that, that's certainly where we're at. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is certainly where we're at right now. Hey, I, I wanted to run a couple of things Mike Todd said, opinions he stated uh, in his sermon to see if if you agreed with them or any of y'all agree with them. One of them was kingdom dominion is for the management of place, not for the manipulation of people. I don't know exactly what he means, but I think I like it. Uh, when I listened to the sermon, I thought there was some pretty good theology, depending on how he defines his terms. But he's just saying that the kingdom trumps and has authority over your feelings, over your position, that everything you do, everywhere you go, you should try to follow the kingdom of God and the King Jesus in what you're doing. And I like that. I understood a little bit differently. Maybe it's the same. To me, that was um, a retort to the people who say, you're just trying to control me. All you want is to tell me what to do, live and let live. And he's like, I'm not, I care nothing about your life. If this wasn't against scripture, I wouldn't care. God has given us everything we need to have a place that functions properly. And so that's what I'm doing here. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm trying to manage the kingdom in a way that he set out the rules for us to succeed. That's all this is. Dave, I want to ask you this and, and TJ and Bobby chime in as well. I want to play a clip where Mike talked about, and this is powerful, I, I thought, is like, as it relates to the LGBTQ issue, that he, he may say, like, it's all fun and games until it comes to your house, until this issue comes to your house. You can sit around and talk and speculate and say X, Y, and Z, and then it shows up at your front door, and now you have to deal with it and, and uh, he was justifying his empathy. Justin, I, I want to play that clip of, of him. It's fun and games, and, and it's, it's about a one-minute clip. Let's play that clip. It's all fun and games till it shows up in your house. <laughs> Until you dealing with it in your home? Now they just need to throw them away and cast into a lake of what? That's God's workmanship and a masterpiece. I'm offending religious spirits right now. I already know it. What I'm saying is, who's going to serve? Who's going to serve the, the untouchable? Who's going to serve the ones that the church is outcasted? Who's going to serve the people who your parents taught you to hate? Some of y'all, y'all parents would turn over in your grave if you knew you was in a church with a black preacher in a black suit with a black man on a shirt wearing braids. Because they, they taught you. I got, <clears throat> that hit home with me. Not the ending part, but the beginning and in terms of you know, I, I, I try to be careful discussing it, but it has hit my family in a real way. And, and it, 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 
puts me in a tough spot when someone you deeply, deeply love and care about is having that struggle. It's 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 put me and my family. It's tough, and and it's it's it's. I I get where Mike is coming from, and that's where I was sympathetic towards Mike's sermon. When you're dealing with a big congregation like that, you're dealing with a lot of families that have this issue inside their home, and you can have a lot of thoughts about what you would do, and then it shows up at your door, and push comes to shut, and it gets real, real. Dave, your thoughts on that, and then Bobby, I'd love to hear from you as well. Um, I mean, I don't think that I need to say this in order to be able to comment on this, but I, it hits my family too. I have family members that I'm very close to that struggle and that are given over completely to homosexuality. And, um, which is why I think my position on this is, is a little more harsher or some would think very, not, not very empathetic, um, but extremely sympathetic when people talk like this, I'm, it throws up red flags for me, Jason, because they act as if all of a sudden the standard changes because you have to deal with the problem closer, right? And so they talk like this to say, oh, you have all this theology and you have all this stuff until it hits home and then none of that stuff matters. This is why I was saying that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. If we have the power of God, the same God that created the cosmos, stars, and the sun. His word is the thing that spoke everything into existence. And his word is holding all things together. And all of a sudden, we have a person who is close to us, who is in homosexuality. And we have the word of God that spoke that very person into existence. And we forget all of a sudden that the word of God has power to it, to work to that situation and recreate a human being? We have a problem with the trust of the scriptures of God as it relates to the people that are close to us. If we have someone who, let's just say you're in battle, the best thing is to have, and you have the most most amazing weapon, particularly for close battle. When that person gets close to you, you get excited about using that weapon because you know it's going to have a very high success rate. When we have the word of God that we've hid in our heart and we have a loved one that is struggling with sin, we should we should relish the opportunity that we get so many opportunities to witness the gospel to that person because we know the word of God brings life. And and we act like the word of God doesn't have power. It has massive power and we have the opportunity to exercise that power. But because it's close to us, we get nervous. We get concerned. No, I get to exercise the sympathy of Christ coming down and dying for sinful man and the gospel, the power of God to create the world and the power of God to recreate a man and regenerate him constantly in this person's life. The threat is not the person. The threat is me. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the dangerous one in the situation. He's the one who's got to run. And I'm chasing him because I love him and I want him to be transformed. And so if I have the opportunity to have and work with people like this, I have the gospel that's going to regenerate them. And so my, my heart and my mind isn't weary and it doesn't change my position on the gospel or the stance of the gospel because I know that my tool is effective in dealing with the situation. So <clears throat> this cuts home to me closely, uh, not just family wise, but you can't be in ministry very long 
and I've been in ministry now as a lead pastor for 35 years. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more wrenching than talking to somebody who's in a loveless marriage and they want to leave it and you understand why, but you got to say, no, Jesus teaches us to stick in our marriage. One of the hardest conversations you can ever have, and I've had them late at night uh, with friends. I remember one in particular, a gay man, whom I loved as a brother in Christ very dearly. And he would try to follow Jesus, and he'd lose his way. Then he'd come back and talk to me about, like, why do I have these desires? I don't want these desires. And the, the conversation of actually caring about them and walking with them, but at the same time being courageous and saying, with all of these, I mean, Jason, the fundamental decision uh, about being a man and about being a leader of a local church, it's that same definition that we're going to talk about at the, the Fearless Summit, and that what is a man? Uh, and a man is somebody, I use the acronym uh, REAL, he rejects passivity. It's so easy right now to be passive and say, you know, well, uh, people are saying uh, he, he rejects passivity, he expects God's reward as he accepts responsibility and leads courageously. And my job as a, as a godly man in my home, in my life, and as a pastor is to have the courage to be that person in the midst of feelings that people have on all kinds of di different issues and to be consistent, whether it's my child, my nephew, or my friend, and say, the Word of God is clear. We want to follow the Word of God. We believe the Word of God, even if it's painful. Jesus said, unless you are willing to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And the hard part today is in the midst of all this empathy is to say, we're not going to let feelings dominate. We're going to let the truth of Jesus dominate. We're going to trust him and together let's obey what he says. You know, we have on our uh, mission statement posted in the office, you know, thank God that Jesus was masculine. And that is what I think is, is, is the missing, the, this whole insistence that empathy is the greatest thing in the world mm -hmm. and masculinity is toxic. And, and we've feminized Jesus or, or stripped him of all his yeah. masculinity and, and we're overdosing yeah. on empathy. And, and it's ruining our society. I think one of the boulders of masculinity is decisiveness. And so you know, empathy sometimes just kind of wanders around and it's, well, who needs what? And it's like somebody who's very masculine, particularly in leadership, is very decisive. And so one way of looking at this is, particularly if it hits close to home, you care most about those people. This is a crisis. And where do you go during crisis? It better be scripture, because nobody else is gonna save you. And so yeah. for me, like this is now a struggle over someone's salvation because if they listen to the world and they turn to this lifestyle and they reject what God has told them he wants for them and who he is, they can turn right around. I mean, I don't know that there's anything in the world turning people away from Jesus in America like this LGBT nonsense. 
And so th this is an existential crisis. These people are in trouble. Agree, and I so agree. to not give them the truth out of empathy mm. to me is crazy. Yeah. When it hits closer to home, we should be more aggressive in attacking it. Not that we shouldn't be sympathetic, as Dave puts it, and we should make these people feel loved. But boy, if, if we start hiding the truth, that we're not doing them any favors. In fact, we're adding to their destruction. You know, one of the descriptions uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of time, of the people who were, uh, did not make it to heaven, who are lost and sent to the fires of hell, is they were cowardly. Revelation 7 and, and one of the things I just want to say, a godly person is courageous. And uh, I like to say it this way. If you love Jesus, here's his love language, obedience. Jesus literally said, mm -hmm. if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. And I think that we've got to say that uh, obedience, Daniel, Daniel made some good points. It's, it's obedience uh, that fundamentally... Daniel Lear, who we had on yesterday, yes, who you're talking yeah, about. All right, go ahead, continue. Yeah, yeah. Made some good points. Go ahead. Uh, just about, uh, you know, show me the fruit, show me the obedience. But it takes courage to, to obey. And a godly man is a man who's willing to have that courage. It's, it's a courageous decision to do the right thing, to subvert your feelings, to subvert the pressure of all the other people with feelings and say, this is right and we're going to do right, even though it's hard. Bobby, you brought mm. up Daniel Muir, who we had on former NFL player. We had him on yesterday. And, and so I'm going to say what he would say, and I, I want us to answer. He, he would say, as it relates to LGBT and all this other stuff, that we are not showing enough obedience to get the results that we're looking for. That what he said, the Israelites were, they've given up everything. They, they, they're living out the Acts version of the church. And they, they are showing a level of obedience that we're not. We're talking about it, but, but we're I would, still I would ask the him world. To, I, I, I'll just be bold and say, why don't you come check out my church? Why don't you come check out the people in Renew Network? Why don't you come and check it out? Because uh, I can point uh, to churches where we uphold the obedience of Jesus. I don't, uh, Dave, I don't know if you, did you see any of the interview we did with Daniel Muir? Yeah, I yeah, did. I've, you know, I've actually, I've talked with him and referenced you specifically like, I don't know, maybe you need to go out to Moscow, Idaho and, and see what Dave and they're doing at his church. I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure that they're not being pretty obedient. Maybe 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 you're just missing it. But how would you answer Daniel? Um. Well, I, I, he's welcome to come out here. I love to have him out here um, and see he can see what we're doing out here. There is a a lot of times in Christianity and the way that God does things, we don't always see on the surface what God's doing underneath. Had we or the world seen that killing Jesus was going to be the thing that transformed the whole world, they would have never did it. Uh, but God works in ways that we don't always observe. And so I still think there's a remnant that's being faithful, like Pastor Bobby was saying uh, with his church, that we don't always see. We have a huge homeschooling movement that is coming up. It's only a generation and a half old that we don't even begin to know what the fruit of that is going to be yet. 
We have a God always has his faithful people that are being faithful to him that we don't always see on the surface. So that's one thing. Although I do again, I sympathize with him because if I'm looking at the homosexual stuff and the transgender stuff and watching people pussyfoot around the issue and I'm thinking, wow, you know, if we're handling this sin so different from all the other ones and we don't know the antidote very well, there's something broken in for sure our mainstream Protestantism and evangelicalism because we should know what to do with sin. <laughs> we should just we should know what to do with sin and unrighteousness and wickedness and we should know how to deal with it and it shouldn't be so different. Right. We should know how to deal with the pedophiles. We should know how to deal with the drunkards. We should know how to deal with men who abuse their wives. We should know how to deal with women who don't submit to their husband. We should know how to deal with homosexuality and transgenderism. We have a book. God wrote a book. And so long as we submit to it, we can speak with authority like Christ did on every subject without any equivocation. But when it comes to this issue, somehow we're getting played. So it has it makes me want to go back down the rest of the issues and say, man, we've dropped the ball. I think Pastor Bobby was talking about this uh, yesterday. There is a lead up to the reason why we're having a problem here. And we dropped the ball when it came to divorce. I would even say before then. And so I think there's something to what Daniel is saying about the fact that, hey, there if you're having a problem here and the church is getting played in this way, this ain't the only thing. This is just a pimple that's rising to the surface. There's an infection inside of evangelicalism all the way down with all the other sins that we are compromising on to the point that we're compromised here. And every time I see something that's compromising on a topic or a subject, I'm looking for sin inside of the man and the ministers. When you have a compromise um, group that doesn't speak boldly, it's because they are ashamed of their own sins in one way, or they're ashamed of other people's sins and they don't know how to deal with the problem. And that's where we're at. We have people, in particular ministers of God, who are full of sin and don't know how to get rid of it themselves. Dave, thank you so much. Got to move on. Want to bring Virgil back in kind of put a bow on this conversation. Great job, Dave. Uh, we're gonna circle back to uh, Virgil Walker next. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth and if all it was was imperfection. It eliminated us from standing on truth. This would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. 
And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough. In prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Welcome back. Uh, we're going to bring Virgil Walker, who was with us yesterday, but we're going to try to put a bow and give everybody a chance to have a final thought about all that we've discussed over the past two days. But I wanted to start here because Virgil let us know about that conversation we were just having with Dave Shannon and my whole thing about uh, where I played the clip of, of uh, Pastor Todd saying, yeah, it's all... Funds, fun and games until this issue comes to your home. Virgil, I think that struck a note, a chord with you. It, it did because, I, you know, we, we have the, this idea that Christianity is, uh, is something easy and light. And then when, when something tough shows up, uh, we, need to, we need to look for some other answers in other places. Uh, I, I think it's dangerous commentary when, when a pastor hints at something like that. Uh, I, I, get, I get the point being made, uh, but the reality is uh, if, if the Christian faith is one of carrying a cross, which is an instrument of death, carrying a cross and following Christ, uh, the, Christianity is not for the lighthearted. Uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is more Christian at the point at which it meets real life uh, than, than it is at any point in time when someone's being entertained by a by, by a charismatic pastor. Uh, and so when I, when I think about statements like that, people often make the statement, well, it's, it's real until it hits real life, uh, especially about the, the issues uh, surrounding LGBTQIA plus uh, or, or the like. They, they're, when they meet, when I meet them, when they meet me, that's the wrong conversation to have. I, I, I've shared with, with you and with others uh, on this team, I have a younger brother, he's 18, 18 months younger 
than I am. And uh, I remembered in our home, as we grew up together, he struggled with, with his sexuality for, for a long period of time. Uh, he would eventually leave home and be gone for uh, years at a time, uh, engaged in, in homosexual activity and the like. He would come back home. We would, you know, mom and dad would, would, would clean him up, straighten him up and get him on the narrow path. And then he would go back out. Now, he and I were raised very similarly in a Christian home. Two parents, mom and dad, who loved us, did the best that they could with what they knew uh, as far as providing for us, uh, you know, a, a Christian environment. He chose a different path, uh, and the path that he chose was, was one that's, that, that's in line with what the culture is saying is LGBTQIA+, and, 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 and you know, he embraced that. Uh, what, what it would lead to over the course of, of our lifetimes uh, would be about three years ago, uh, he, he would lose his battle uh, with HIV AIDS uh, and, and would pass away. I, I actually buried my brother. I did my brother's funeral. And so I recognize all of the emotion connected to that. I, I, there, there are times even still, uh, uh, Jason, when I'll think about him or I'll hear a song or, or something will remind me of him. I'll be in my car driving and, and, and tears begin to just well up and flow because of the relationship we had. It was, it was brothers. I knew that he looked up to me. I wanted to be an example to him. So we had all of the, all of the natural uh, aspects of, of brotherly love uh, and battles and all of that that, that brothers have. Uh, I, I buried my brother. And, and at the same time, at no time in that process did, did God's word ever change. Or did I feel the need to transform God's word to fit my situation? Nor did I feel like, well, I know that Christianity, it was cool when we were all, you know, having a fun time listening to the choir, but now it's real. And so I, I might have to readjust some things. God's word does not change. Uh, and, and we did not neglect sharing the truth of the gospel with him. I'm glad that we did. I'm glad that as a family, we continue to share the truth of the gospel with him because what we would learn would be, what I would learn would be that as, as he began to get closer and closer to, to the point of his life ending, he would recommit himself to his faith in Christ Jesus. I'm hopeful uh, to see my brother uh, again, but but to but but had I had I not shared the message of the gospel, had we not taken the stance that we took, and he was made to feel and believe that the direction that he was headed was okay, it was right, that maybe God changed the rules for him, I would have no hope, Jason, of seeing my brother again, and 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 he would be separated from God, not simply in this life. But for eternity, anyone who cares and loves for their loved one in any way, shape or form, who neglects to share the true message of the gospel, absolutely hates their loved one. They don't love them. They have to hate them to do that. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, th there was. And, and you, you I needed to hear that and and. Some members of my family needed to hear that, and and so I'm I'm glad you shared it. There was something Mike Todd said. He Mike <clears throat> relied, leaned into a lot of scripture, but gave his interpretation of scripture and his philosophies on different things. And there was one thing he said that I think <clears throat> related to the men's summit that we're having uh, April 15th. And one of the reasons we're talking about Virgil is our behind the scenes guys. For anybody that uh, follows the show, Virgil has 
put this thing together for us from a behind the scenes aspect, knows what we're trying to accomplish. Virgil's got a lot of experience in, in this area. But Mike Todd said something that I wanted to run by you all and, and because I found it inspiring for what we're trying to do in April and with the whole fearless movement and with the roll call. And it, it is Mike said that Jesus's pattern is from heaven to earth through us for the benefit of others. Mm-hmm. And first time I had heard it and, and you know, it's, it was Mike, he didn't quote scripture. He didn't, that's his interpretation. And so I, I wanted you all's reaction to that. And, and because to me, it makes a lot of sense for what we're trying to inspire and what we're trying to do with this show and with Roll Call and the whole thing. Bobby, again, you're the most experienced pastor here. How does that land with you? Well, I I like it. The idea that um, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, then his son showed us the way, and then through his son and also through the Holy Spirit, uh, God comes into our lives, and it's it's always for the sake of God's glory and showing love to other people. So from God to us to others is uh, totally biblical. See, well, <clears throat> first part, obviously what he said, God sent Jesus, and then it seems like the Great Commission to me. I mean, he's already gotten to us, and now he's working through us to get to the others. And it's all started in one... <laughs> tiny place and now it's it took over America now we're trying to have it retake over America but it seems pretty accurate to me and and so Virgil I want to throw it back at you and be, because we had you on at the beginning of yesterday's show before we talked about Mike Todd and his sermon and the little controversy over his sermon I want you to speak to the 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 slogan or the opinion he espoused, but also just I, we've had we've talked about Mike Todd previously. Know how you feel. Wanted your thoughts on this particular sermon. And again, many of your criticisms I agree with. All the the extra stuff is a distraction, and it distracts from what I believe a lot of times is a pretty sound and cleverly delivered message that I see as food for young people and people early uh, in their journey that will push them along the way and maybe they'll uh, seek out a more substantive discussion further along in their journey. But your thoughts on Mike Todd and this controversy about how he dealt with the LGBT issue. Yeah, no, I'm not unfamiliar with Mike Todd or Transformation Church. My parents are still in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, And so I've got family back there. I grew up in Tulsa. I I attended the church that Transformation Church was birthed out of, which was Higher Dimensions Evangelistic Center uh, under the leadership of Carlton Pearson. Um, uh, Gary uh, McIntosh was the senior or or, uh, or pioneer pastor of the church. Uh, Brenda Todd, his mother, was the prophetess at the church uh, at Higher Dimensions. So I'm I'm familiar with their whole background, their whole family, uh, the history of transformation. So and I've still got friends in the area. I I know the the area well, so I'm not I'm not unfamiliar with with uh, with the Todds, with Mike Todd and and, and with the ministry. Uh, Unfortunately, I think he's he's so much more uh, a, a, a style 
than substance. Uh, I, I, I think he's more homiletic, uh, more than, than, than hermeneutic. By homiletic, I simply mean he, he's wanting to put words together, phrases together that rhyme that make you remember, and those are helpful. The black church is known for that kind of thing. Uh, what they're oftentimes short on is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the actual study of the science of the, the, the art and science of biblical interpretation. He's strong on homiletics. Oftentimes he's short on, 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 on hermeneutics. Those are the kinds of things that, that really have unfortunately have plagued the black church and left the door cracked open for great error and heresy. It's the thing that's left the, the black church vulnerable to not only the LGBTQIA plus agenda, but also to the idea that we need to support women uh, and, and, and that, that it's okay to, 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 uh, to think about uh, abortion uh, in, a, in an unbiblical way. Uh, we, we come up with ways that we can, hey, God is both pro-choice and pro-life, or God is this. And so, so because of the fact that we're short on hermeneutics, on what the text of scripture actually says, and long on homiletics, rhyming words, cool phrases, people lean into the next cool phrase without examining it and exegeting it. The, the statement as it pertains to what, what he said from heaven to earth, uh, to, to us, through us, that, that, that sounds great. It's homiletic. The question is, you have to exegete what he means by what he's saying to know if that statement is sound. So, so when he says from heaven to earth, I, I noticed that, that, that Bobby attached his thought process to it, which was great. He actually leans into scripture. God so loved the world. He sends his only begotten son. The question is, is that always what Mike Todd means when he says that? that he can have a different idea from heaven to earth. Well, God, God, God sent this from heaven. God sent this blessing from heaven. God said, so now it's not salvation. It's a blessing. Now it's not, you know, and he talks about uh, the, the prosperity gospel. I don't know what Mike Todd means when he says from heaven to earth. I, I, we need to ask that question. And it, it's, it's incumbent upon us to nail that down if we're going to embrace the, the ideas that he's going to espouse. If he were to anchor that in scripture and say, when I say this, I always mean this. And it's connected to scripture. We're good to go. If it's just an ambiguous statement open for anyone's interpretation and allows anyone to attach their own ideas to what that means, we are in dangerous territory that opens the door for error, which often leads to heresy. That's my problem with it. I would much rather us anchor things in scripture if we're going to use it as a, as, as a, as a direction, as a motto or something like that, especially as it pertains to being connected to uh, God-ordained things, as it pertains to the work of ministry, as it pertains to even, even the kinds of things, Jason, that, 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 that you're aiming to do with, with, with the roll call. Uh, you're aiming to, to shift men's minds back toward God. You want to see men step up be accountable and walk things up right. Well, what do you have in, in, that, in that space? You have men who understand and know scripture who are going to be sharing the primary of, of all that you're going to be sharing in that space. You've got men who know the Bible. You've got men who know scripture. You're going to be leaning into that when you, when you, when you share what, what you share. Those things are critical. Uh, I, I think those things are important. We've got to think about those things. And before we adopt a saying, I need to know not what was said. I need to know what was meant by what was said. Virgil, that was fantastic, but you've provoked some narcissism in me listening to that. 
and I'm about to ask a question I shouldn't ask. We don't have a lot of time, but it is what you provoked in me. And so I apologize up front because I agree with everything Virgil just said. And so I'm sitting here listening to that. And, and, and when Virgil broke down that how it's left the black church and black people vulnerable to be seduced by things that don't serve us, that don't elevate us. That, I mean, that really hit home with me. And it's like we're all we got seduced by the style and 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 my whole approach to life or the way I perceive myself, it may not be accurate, but what I perceive myself as I much more enjoy substance than style. But I listened to what Virgil just said and I'm like, so why do I like Mike Todd? And, and, and so what, cause it is it, my perception, I could be wrong, is that like I'm attracted to substance and stuff that's more boring and, and, and I talk on this show about why I think the way that I do, the why I operate and I do my own research and I read and blah, blah, blah. And it seems like my uh, affinity for Mike Todd's sermons contradicts that. Yeah. And so what, what is, is I just got the wrong perception of myself? Is it, am I being phony? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just more into style than I am substance. And so I'm Jason, asking. Jason, let me, let's so, I, I, I do, I do go ahead, to, Bobby. Ferb. Everybody's got to be quick, but, okay. but Bobby, you go first. I've wondered that about you from when I first met you, and you and I have had conversations about the local church and disciple making in the local church. I'm just going to thread an eagle real quick from what Virgil brought up to what TJ has said and what I believe. So you talk about from heaven to earth to make disciples who change lives. So God's plan, plan A, and the real fruit that matters, the real substance that matters, is not just that we say all these things and hear all these things, that it actually gets translated into a local church where it's disciples who make disciples and people live different lives because they're accountable to the teachings of Jesus. They embrace the Word of God. They joyfully serve Him, and they're different people in a local church. At the end of the day, that is the most important substance in the world. I'll simply, I'll simply add this. I'm sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead. I, I, no, go, I, Virgil, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I simply wanted to add this. A lot of what you're dealing with, Jason, is, and, and you and I both deal with, is, is, is cultural, right? We, we are, to a degree, Pavlovian in our response to certain styles of preaching. When we hear a certain a certain tune, when we hear a certain Hammond B three chord on a on a on a Sunday morning, when we hear somebody say, mm-hmm, you know, we we there's something innately in us, culturally speaking, that connects with that. Mike Todd has that mastered, and he's leveraging every aspect of it to keep you connected, because the substance of what he's saying is so small, it's so weak. That if he were able to stand there and only give you the substance without saying, I know I can't tell you this right here. Or I know I'm about to make somebody angry right here. If he if he subtracted that from his message and just gave you the substance of what he said, he would have about two to five minutes in the pulpit for an hour long sermon. That would be it. That'd be all he would have to deliver. <laughs> oh, uh, so the, I, 
I'm glad you said that because I, I think there's some truth in that. But when I look at other than Mike Todd, you know, Vody, uh, here recently John MacArthur, uh, Tony Evans, uh, and just my own research and and just all the different tools I've been using or what it contradicts. But but I, I think I you're right. You. But go ahead. I got there for you. Um, what you love is idea. He's very in tune with the culture, far more than any of the other preachers you just mentioned. You love to take ideas and to, so you may listen to two and a half hours of Mike Todd and he said one thing and you don't tell me about the two and a half hours. You grab that one idea that is culturally relevant and you come back here and say, let's explore this idea and find out is that scripturally sound? And you do that a lot. And he's the only guy out there that I'm aware of that you listen to that takes the cultural ideas as well as he does, weaves them in kind of with scripture and you don't take it at face value. You come back here and do what you just did with us. So I think he is the one guy that can integrate the culture for you to allow you to explore that. Not the way I planned on ending this, but we are going to end this. Uh, let's play tomorrow. We'll see you on Monday. Freedom.